Good morning. God bless you all, my dear brothers and sisters, and all of the people who are tuning in and joining, people who perhaps still are not congregating in our church, but are watching and listening to the sermon, a greeting to you all, a greeting with great affection to you all. And well, since now you've left me here speechless, and the brother Carlos Alberto shares that, what, what should I share? The promise of the Lord. Yes, well, truly, I do remember over 25 years ago when I think the internet really just started coming up and emails and people started using computers and again, emails, because I remember at the time I would write to brothers and sisters in the church on a piece of paper and I would send it off in the mail and then I, it would probably take about 15 or two weeks to send mail from one place to another. When suddenly, what surges or what is born, what comes up, is the internet in Colombia. In Colombia, because I think obviously in other countries at that point, they had been using it for many years. But I'm talking about Colombia. And when everything was very new, I remember the cell phone came out. It was new. It was new for everyone. And everyone wanted to have the same thing, wanted to do the same thing. They wanted to participate by their phone. And, well, everyone had emails at this point and what a joy that was. It was something new, never seen before in Colombia. And in those days, that's when the Lord spoke to me. And he says to me, you will have great fame and your name will appear on the internet. And so, okay, I simply, what I do is I believe the Lord, but I never imagine and think how, when, what's difficult, it's impossible, when. I believe the Lord and everything remains in my heart. And I wait. And well, after in 2004, there was a scandal that came out. A scandal, yes, it was infamy or a bad fame. That's when it started. This scandal against me, the envy of the devil against the church, since he could not take away those lives. He then began with scandals to defame my name and cast it down to the floor to try and destroy the church. And what scandal? And so I said to the Lord, Lord, you said that I would have fame, but I did not imagine it was going to be bad fame. And while well, the Lord said to me, do not worry, continue forward because I'm going to place you on high. And well, thank you, Lord, because in 2014, once again, another scandal, another scandal, the devil attacking me. Now, of course, in attacking me, he thought that the church would also become destabilized and the church would come to an end. That's what the devil has always wanted. And also, we would pray, I would pray to the Lord and say, Lord, look at what is happening. Look what's going on. And the Lord said, do not worry about that. Do not worry because I'm going to place you even higher. And so I give the Lord thanks. Now the time has gone by, the years have passed, and the work that I have done with all my heart. I'm not a professional singer, 
But on the social media, they said I was a singer. They've given me this title of being a singer. And I give the Lord thanks. I owe the Lord all of this because that too was a promise that the Lord made me in the beginning. In the church, it had just started in those first four years. And we're talking about this was over 46 years ago. Over 46 years ago, the Lord said to me, with your voice, many people will convert. Many people will come to church when they hear your voice, when they hear you sing, and also when they hear you speak. And so many people will come to the church. And well, that has come to pass. The time went on and when I would travel to certain cities and countries, I once traveled to Panama and the sisters in Panama said, do you know why I'm here in this church, here with you? Because I heard you sing the choruses. Because my neighbor, my neighbor was a part of the church. I was not a part of any church, but I would hear my neighbor play the choruses and choruses and I would love to hear your voice. I love the choruses and that's why I'm here. And many people shared the same experience in other countries and other places. People would say, I'm here because of hearing you sing. I heard you sing. And I researched where those that music was coming from and what church it was. And that's why I stayed. And so there I see the fulfillment of the Lord's word. And so it's not that we are professional singers or professional speech makers or well-spoken. No, brothers and sisters, we're none of that. The only thing is that we have a heart that is prepared and sincere for the Lord. And it's a willing heart. And everything else, the Lord decorates. Now I imagine the Lord, he decorates my voice and makes it sound nice to other people. He makes it sound nice for others. Now some might say, well, I don't hear her voice to be very nice. And someone else will say, well, I do like it. I think it's nice. And someone else will maybe not agree. Well, God has maybe decorated my voice to try and bless that person and well, the devil, of course, he tries to come and, and, and influences people and people say, well, I don't like the way you sing. Well, okay, that's the devil's message to me. And so I know how the devil also works. And I just continue to follow and do whatever God has spoken and promised, what God has said. And it brings me so much joy because those very beautiful promises that God has made me in my life, that with my voice, that I, I speak to someone, and sometimes the Lord works a miracle for a person just by hearing me speak. And that has come to pass. So I say God, God is the one who is doing things and fulfilling all things, for he is powerful. He is this way. He is in every place, our God. And when he wants to bless people, he blesses them. Now I remember in the Bible when the Lord blessed Abraham, and he said he was going to bless him. He was going to enrich him. And everyone was opposed. He had enemies. Everyone wanted to take his life and wanted to do this and that to try and avoid him receiving those blessings from God, maybe out of envy. But what happened? Well, God, his word, it was above everything else and above all others. And that is how our spiritual life is today, our spiritual life. And so this is why I invite you to continue to read the Bible. And now that we have the internet, we have this great support of the internet, let's take advantage of it to evangelize the world like the brother Carlos Alberto did, to evangelize the world. And how beautiful it is, this method. What a very beautiful way that God is giving us this tool to evangelize. And so the Lord 
He is putting all of this here in front of us with great ease to be able to evangelize. No one no longer has any excuse or justification in saying, well, I don't know the Bible. I ignore it. No one's ever spoken to me about God. No, because there are these different means, means for you to learn the doctrine. And well, people, well, they do need God to speak to them. And when God does speak to you, then you pray and you seek the Lord and God will manifest himself in your life and will speak to you through dreams, visions, or through prophecy. And so we here are here because of the Lord. Thanks be to him because his word is fulfilled when he said that his word would be spread and preached in all the world. Now you may have a seat, my dear brothers and sisters. You may have a seat. And thank you very much. Thank you for the applause that is being given here, the brothers and sisters that are present. Thank you very much. And here, we're going to continue with our study. We are reading Corinthians. We're reading Corinthians chapter by chapter. But today, before, before we begin reading our book, because I... The brothers and sisters, it seems that it is very interesting. We thought it was very interesting to read the books chapter by chapter because there are many brothers and sisters who read a verse and they don't understand it. So it's beautiful to do that, to do it this way. And in these chapters, we will find different topics, but either way, we will still find the explanation to it all. Now we go and please my singers, my backup singers, we're going to sing hymn 228. Before we begin with our scripture, with our passage and the chapter that we have scheduled today and prepared, it's to Jesus come, my friend, hymn 228. So come to the Lord, convert to him, hear our God, hear our Savior, and let us follow our Savior so that with him we may be happy in our life and later on in eternal life. Hymn 228. To Jesus come, my friend, for he has died for you. Light that will never end, he will make shine on you. My blessed Savior died to give you peace and life. Open your heart to him, and your light will not dim. A fatal day will come, when there will be no place. Enter now by the gate. Tis open in these days, but there will be no grace if you heed not his call. Sinner, accept his word. Salvation gives the Lord. The hands of Jesus Christ open today for you. 
you will receive his light, his joy and pardon too. Lay your cares on the Lord, for he will bear them all. He will turn your deep grief into peace and relief. A fatal day will come when there will be no place and turn out by the gate tis open in these days but there will be no grace if you heed not his call sinner accept his word salvation gives the lord blessed and praised is our lord and we give the lord thanks you may now be seated and you can get comfortable and like i said before we are reading chapter by chapter and so now there are going to be surprises that we will have as we read the verses here in 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we will be reading from verse 1 to verse 20. But as we read, we will also be reading some of the biblical references so that things are clear and we are able to understand the scripture, the analysis better. And the most important thing is to learn and obey and please God and do things right in order to please the Lord. Now, I do advise and suggest that when we are listening to the sermon, do not take notes. Don't write anything down, because if you write, then you lose focus. You are going to lose the thread of the deep meaning, the spiritual meaning of the sermon. And so it is better for you to just stop and limit yourself to listen, to retain and understand. And as these sermons, these teachings do remain on the Internet later on, you can go back, and if you want to take down some notes, then you can re-watch the sermon, and then you can take your notes. But when we're here, when I'm giving the sermon live, I do advise you not to notate anything, but just listen. Listen. Because faith comes by listening. And if you are distracted, if you're listening, but if you're writing, you... You're not going to retain, you're not going to understand well, and you're not going to have the same spiritual essence. You're not going to receive the Lord in the same way. So I do advise that you, that you refrain from making any notes, but later on you can re-watch, re-listen, and then you can go ahead and make your notes to study. 
Now, this is something that, at least for me, I've always practiced this in college. I never took down any notes. I would just stare at the professor. I would stare at them and what they were teaching, and I would retain what they were teaching and I would watch and I would learn. And then later on, I would then take the books, I would read, and then I would start to take down notes so that I was able to answer the questions on the test. But I was always a listener and I learned better. I learned better and more by listening. And I, I learned more than everyone else who was taking the notes. That's it. So Everything that you write down, you forget about it. You abandon your notes. You never review them again. And if you do review them, you don't even know what it's about. That's it. And so this is just advice, suggestions that are helpful to us in our spiritual life. First Corinthians chapter six, the apostle Paul says here, he is teaching. Let's not forget. He was teaching the church in Corinth, uh, in Corinth in the epistle, the letter that he sent them regarding all of the problems that were occurring in that time in the church. He was knowledgeable of all of these things. And through a letter, he would advise the believers to live a righteous life, an upright life, a holy life before the Lord. And it says, dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints so it seems as though in that time there were problems issues between the believers in the church there were these types of problems and issues and they would not go to the elders in the church that in that at time the elders existed there were people who had converted to god and truly had a good testimony. They knew a lot, very knowledgeable and very well prepared. And the brothers and sisters, the brethren at the time, would have uh, problems of different sorts. And they would go before the judges of the world rather than seeking the congregation with the pastors, with the deacons, with the bishops and the elders to bring the case before them to see if they could offer a resolution to the problems that occurred within the brethren, the believers. Now, today, to avoid this, we always teach the believers to not maybe form any type of business or lend any money to other believers, that you shouldn't go about letting other people borrow money because the sure thing is that they probably won't pay you back for that money. And so these believers are then lost. The person who loaned the money will leave the church because that other person didn't pay him back. And the person who received the money, well, won't go back to church because he doesn't want to be seen. And that happens. And so we have taught the pastors that they should teach in the congregation that the brothers and sisters should not loan any money and say, here, let me borrow this much money and I'll pay you at this time. But that never happens. Now, if there is a believer who has a lot of money and a brother comes, a sister comes and says, can I borrow some money because I need it? I'm in great need. And so this brother who is very wealthy, they think to themselves and, and they say, okay, I'll let them borrow the money. But if they give it back to me, great. And if they don't, well, it's not a problem. I give it to them because I see that this person that is in need, it's a person who is seeking God. So I'll just give them the money. And I'll tell them that I'll let them borrow it. But if someone has this thought, 
then if someone's thinking this way, there won't be a problem because that other person maybe won't ever pay them back, but you won't have any problem with it. You continue forward in your spiritual life. But since that's not very common that someone just wants to gift money to people because each person, of course, works for their own needs and their money is exactly what they need for their expenses. They can't necessarily give money to others and just gift it to them. But I'm speaking of someone who's very wealthy and has money overflowing. These are exceptions. And in that case, that person could loan that money. Now, we've also told people and taught them that you should not give money to earn interest. That money that you loan with uh, interest, and that's usury. You're, you're charging interest for money. And that, this is not the bank. I'm not talking about banks. I'm talking about people. The believers, speaking of the believers who have money, and they loan it, and then they charge very high interest. And so let's assume the bank charges 1%. 1.0 or 0.5. Let's just assume that the bank charges that. And you as a believer, you're going to charge 5 or 6%. That is usury. And people will then won't ever be able to pay you back. And this is when the disagreements start and, and arguments because you didn't pay them back. And you then lose the believers. You lose the spiritual life. And sometimes you also lose the money. So we have taught this to people in the church to be very careful with this and also to be very careful with forming partnerships. Let's say let's form a partnership together. Let's form a small business as a partnership. That is very, uh, very sensitive topic, a very sensitive thing to do. Think of your spiritual life because maybe if the business goes bankrupt and it didn't result in, in, in a success. You lose the money and then you lose the believers. You lose the brotherhood. You lose everything. So this is what God wants to avoid. Let us be wise and let us rather turn away from these things. And let's not have these types of businesses within the brothers and sisters in the church to avoid the devil coming in and meddling and trying to disturb the spiritual lives. So this is why this was happening in the church in Corinth. This was happening, and when someone maybe borrowed the money and didn't want to pay it back, they go before the judge, and the judge, I'm sure, then sends this person to prison because of the debt that they had. So this is why the Apostle Paul, he says in verse 2, Do you not know that the saints, or the believers in the Lord, will judge the world? For he says, the believers, they will judge the world. And if the world will be judged by you, the believers, the followers of the Lord, the children of God, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Meaning you, if you're going to judge the world as a believer, then why aren't you capable of judging the problem or the issue between brothers and uh, brothers or brethren because maybe lack of wisdom they went into business together and now they're having problems legal problems and so he says you can do this verse three do you not know that we shall judge angels that is what the apostle paul said god had revealed to him god had shown him in the midst of the doctrine that he was taught that the believers, the church of our Lord Jesus Christ would also be judging, shall be judging angels. But what angels? Those angels who rebelled against God when they went along with the devil, 
when with that with that angel the devil in the in the story of the devil we find in Ezekiel 28 the book of the prophet Ezekiel chapter number 28 there you find the story of the creation of the devil and there it speaks about who he was and that after he rebels against God and in rebelling against God a legion of angels followed after him they were angels but once they went off with the devil they rebelled against God they stopped being angels and they became evil spirits. These angels are the ones that the Apostle Paul is mentioning in verse 3 when he says, Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life. These things that are, are small matters, simple to judge, we can judge. We can help to resolve these problems for these brethren who are in this type of conflict because God, he is going to give us the ability to judge even angels and the devil the day of the final judgment. Very well. So as you can see, my brothers and sisters, in every verse, we're finding different things to learn. It's not just one specific topic. It's about a lot of different things, and it's important to learn all of these things. Now, verse 4, the apostle says, If then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? So he was saying, How is it possible that you are going to a judge who does not know God, has doesn't have God in his life, doesn't know the doctrine, and you have him? Make a judgment call upon these believers, these brethren in the church. What a shame. This is what the Apostle Paul is saying. What a shame that these are the things that are happening within the church. Verse 5. I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you, not even one, who will be able to judge between his brethren? Okay, so the apostle was now saying that it was impossible that among all of the believers that there was not one who was able to do the work of a judge. Now verse 6, but brother goes to law against brother and that before unbelievers. This was shameful. Very shameful that among the believers, the brethren of the church, that there is these or these types of problems that arise. And this is a, what the devil did in that time with the time of the scandals when the devil uh, rose after me. He used people that were a part of the church and they spoke to the different media outlets saying things that were not true, making things up. And they caused the church to be put to shame and for me to be put to shame because what will the world say? What does the world say? Will they say, well, those people in that church, they're doing these things. Well, what do you mean this woman who is preaching and she's doing these things? What a shame. And so we were all left embarrassed and we said, Lord, what the devil has done is he's, he's put us to shame. We're embarrassed by this. And the Lord said, well, no, I'm also going to set my hand here so that everything is cleansed. And that things are not how the devil wants them. That's what the devil does. That's what the devil does. But here, the apostle is telling the brethren, if you are able to avoid these types of conflicts among you, these types of injustices apparently, among you, that one paid, the other didn't pay, 
or the other one maybe crossed the boundary of their property or the other person took the water that belongs to them because that property or that water belongs to their property and you brought your sheep over there. That's what I'm assuming. Those were the types of problems. It was regarding the field and the animals because in that time, there wasn't too much of an industry other than that. So those were the types of problems. And so this is why the apostle wanted to avoid the church or the believers to ever be put to shame and for the world to speak badly of the church or of the children of God. And this is what we today, what we aim to do, which is to live an upright life before the Lord, to bear good testimony and a good and set a good example so that the Lord should have no reason to charge us for anything, nor should we ever feel ashamed or the church should be ashamed before the world. No one should ever have to bring things to light and say that we're of bad testimony or that we're false and we're liars. But on the contrary, that the world, sh world should always say or speak well of us because we are children of God. This is what we should fight and aim for. And so the apostle would make an effort for these things, things that seemed small, but he knew that all of this would then jeopardize spiritual lives and cause many people to turn back. So the apostle continues to teach. And he says in verse seven, now, therefore, it is already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? So be patient or tolerate. Why aren't you rather be accepting the wrong or forget the money, forget about the debt rather, and do not have any arguments or fights with your brethren and just forget about the debt, let things be. But you know now that you'll never loan them money again. You lent them money one time and never again. And of course, with all of that, you won't stop speaking to them or greeting them. You forgive them because that person wasn't able to pay you back. And so you leave that all in God's hands. This is what the apostle was saying. He says, why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourself be cheated? Yes, tolerate it. Be patient is what he's saying. Verse eight, no, you yourselves do wrong and cheat. And you do these things to your brethren. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? So the apostle Paul says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And now here is where the apostle begins to list all of the, those who had sinned, who had committed all of these different types of sins. Now you see the apostle begins to list these sins from the sermon where he was saying that you have many arguments and fights and you go before the judges of the world. And if you forgive that other person's debt, you forgive their fault and you have patience, God is the one who pays. God is the one who charges. God is the one that justifies. So leave it all in God's hands. And remember, all those who do evil, well, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. They will not inherit eternal life is what the apostle Paul said. Remember that those who are unrighteous. So if someone has stolen money from you, if your brother is saying he is a believer, he has stolen money from you, he took your belongings, 
then remember that the Lord is going to charge that person. And if he does not repent, well, then he will lose eternal life. This is what the Apostle Paul wanted to say. And so he begins to list, not only is it to to steal and to defraud a person, was that a sin? But a person could also lose eternal life. It was not just those sins, but many others. And he begins to list them. And he says, do not be deceived. Not a any man or any woman, no matter who they are, and he begins to list what they are, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterators, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. He said, and such were some of you, some of you before converting to God, you were those who practiced all of these things. And God has cleansed you. He has forgiven you. And he has brought you to the congregation. And God has you in his flock. God has transformed you because this is how you came before the Lord. You converted to God and you promised before the Lord to follow his footsteps follow his ways. And so the Lord began to remove all of these sins in verse 11. And such were some of you, but you were washed. You, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. So you have already changed. You no longer are all of these sins, these things, these faults that have been listed. You no longer do these things. You no longer practice these things because you have now converted to God. And if you have converted to the Lord, how is it possible then that you're going to fall back into all of these different problems and conflicts among your brethren? And now you're falling back into once again committing sin, the sin that you had committed in the past before knowing God. Now you're, re- you're reverting back to the old ways and you're becoming men and women of the world committing sin. If God is the one who just is the one who justifies and God cannot justify people who commit these sins and you were committing them. But what did God do? He removed those things from you because you said, Lord, I make a commitment to follow you. I make a commitment to believe in you and to do your will. I believe in you, Lord. And the Lord immediately stepped in to change you, to remove all of these sins. And so no longer can you be justified in saying that there should be problems or issues among the congregation. There should be no type of conflict like this in the congregation because God changes. God is the one who sanctifies. He washes. He is the one who forgives the sins. That happened. And this continues to happen among the congregation. God no longer allows anyone to commit any of these sins. But people, new people, those who are newcomers to the church, they come committing some of these sins, they arrive, but do not worry because maybe perhaps you are not able to change because it's impossible for you. Because as 
we know our flesh is so strong, it tries to dominate us, and we can't change by ourselves because this happened to all of the followers of the law of Moses. They were not able to change. They had the laws and all of the ordinances and rules, and they couldn't change. They knew what was wrong, and it was a sin to do a certain thing, and they would still do it because they were not capable of stopping their flesh ruled over them. They said, yes, God's law says I shouldn't do this, but I still do it. The law said that I shouldn't be a liar, that I shouldn't defraud anyone or con anyone and cheat anyone, but that's what I like to do. I have pleasure in in cheating other people and lying to someone. I feel pleasure in doing that. I can't change. I can't obey God. I can't obey this law of Moses. I can't. And so the law of Moses was never able was never able to change anyone. And people would read it and they knew it, but they couldn't change. Now in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is the gospel that we are living in now, the era of the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit is the one who is here, attentive, and he is around us. He is in our lives, changing us, guiding us. He is teaching us. He is transforming us. He removes that appetite from our flesh. He is there attentive. But when is it that the Lord performs those marvelous miracles in our bodies by removing all of these sins, like those who are uh, fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, and all of these things? When will the Lord remove these things? Well, when I say, Lord, Lord, I acknowledge that I have this sin. I have these sins. They are with me. I am practicing them every day. And this is what brings my flesh pleasure. I can't take it away. And the Bible says, your word says, you tell us that we need to change. But Lord, I can't. I can't, Lord. If you don't take this away, if you don't change me, then I can't do it. I acknowledge, Lord, that I am failing you. I acknowledge that I have this weakness, this error. I acknowledge it. Please remove it. Help me because I want to please you. I want to follow you and serve you. When God hears and sees this from us in our heart and the desire, the intention and the acknowledgement that we are failing God and that we have these sins and these weaknesses, God comes in to transform and changes us. He changes us. He transforms us. He regenerates us, renews us. Our Lord Jesus Christ, he spoke and he said that he would be forgiving sins, cleansing sins, forgiving them. But the fact was not just that he forgave them, but he was removing that sinful tendency from that person. When he said to that adulterous woman, he says, go and sin no more. The Lord removed the appetite that she had for adultery. And he said, go and sin no more. But the Lord in that moment removed that appetite when she arrived back to her home, back to living her daily life. She realized she wasn't committing adultery anymore because she no longer had the appetite to do so in her flesh. For the Lord worked a complete miracle. That is what the Lord does today in the gospel. This is what our God does in our lives. He has changed us, transformed us, but he wants that we, that we seek him and acknowledge and say, yes, Lord, I am this way. I have this and please help me. 
because I know that what I have is wrong. It's not right. It's not good. Please help me. The adulterous woman, the Lord had mercy of her. He says, a woman, those who wanted to stone you, where are they? I don't see them. Well, she said they have left. He says, well, I'm not going to harm you either, but I'm going to forgive you. No longer commit that sin and cleansed her. And when we, when we say to the Lord, Lord, here I am before your presence, Lord, change me. I want to please you. I want to please you, Lord. And he will say, yes. I will help you so that you please me and I will cleanse you and I will remove that tendency. I will give you joy. And that is what God does with us in the gospel. And so you, for example, you read verse nine and verse 10 and you will probably feel worried, but do not be worried because the apostle says here, and such were some of you before you had converted to the Lord, because now you have been washed, sanctified, justified, forgiven by the Lord. Now you are no longer doing these things, so you have no need to do these things, and whoever does it, it's because they are regressing in their spiritual life, they're wasting their time, and so the Lord will step in and judge him. And so be very careful of falling into the hands of Lord's. It is better to have God filled with joy and mercy and not the Lord to be wrathful or angry with us. Now, this is the teaching. The Lord changes. God transforms. If you like to get drunk or you like to consume drugs, don't worry. You alone can't remove those things from your life. But if you begin to believe in the Lord... If you believe, you say, I want to believe in this God. I want to believe in that Lord that this Maria Luisa is preaching. I want to believe in that God so that he transforms me and changes me and removes this. Well, then I'm sure God will change you and deliver you because we are preaching the true living God, the real God, the God that speaks and transforms lives. And he removes the sinning tendencies from the flesh of a person. That God is who we are preaching. In verse number 12, the apostle then says, well, as believers in the Lord, as a church, we need to serve the Lord and do things right. He says, all things are lawful for me. He says, all things are lawful for me. But all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. For if there is something that maybe will cause me to offend God or cause me to lose my eternal life, well, then I will not let myself be ruled by that. Brothers and sisters, believers, those who are listening, it says that we... We have dominion and control over our sin and our weaknesses. We have dominion here where it says a fornicator. Well, I have the dominion to not commit fornication. I will not commit this fornication. I won't do it because I need to please God. An adulterer, they say, well, I won't commit an adultery. I can't commit this adultery because I need to please God. I will not fall. When I say this, God helps me. And he says, yes, I will help you. I will strengthen you. When I say I don't want to be a thief or I don't want to be uh, an extortioner, 
Well, the Lord comes in and changes me because I need to rule over my flesh. I need to rule over it. And I need to say no to my flesh. So this is why it says that we should not let ourselves be brought under by any of those things that are not lawful. In verse 13, foods for the stomach, meaning food that we ingest, it goes into the stomach and the stomach for foods. But God will destroy both it and them, meaning our physical body will be destroyed, our physical bodies. But the body, now it says here, now the body is not for sexual immorality or not for adultery. Adultery, it goes hand in hand with fornication. And fornication is the same act, the intimate act. Now, adultery is when you have a commitment to someone, you are committed to someone, you have your partner, and you then go with another person. Then you commit adultery. You are committing or adulterating a commitment, an act that should be between you and your partner only. And now you have adulterated that just as you adulterate or you maybe spoil you spoil your milk by adding maybe water. That's how adultery is. You spoil that commitment. Now, the adultery is just the act, or the fornication is the, the, the intimate act. I can't speak too clearly because there are children watching. But it says here, Now, God will destroy both it and them, and that this is regarding the food in the stomach. Now, the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. So this is saying here in verse 15, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Not just a a harlot, but there are different cases of committing fornication and adultery. It's not just with a harlot, but there are other many cases. So he says, or do you not know that our, our bodies are members of Christ? Shall I take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot or and commit ad adultery? So he says, be careful in committing this adultery because what is a body? Verse 16, or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot, so he says, if you join a harlot, or in other cases, another person, we know that there are so many different things how people join in together. He says, do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. God spoke of this in Genesis 2.24. He told Adam and Eve that they needed to multiply that they needed to be fruitful and to populate the earth. The two of them, they were one flesh. Speaking of that intimate, intimate side, speaking of that intimate side, that both of them were one flesh, not that the two would become one spirit. No, each of them, they are two individual people, two different personalities, two different spirits. But the flesh, this matter was one flesh, this couple. 
It's now one. And so the Lord, he says, he, his spirit, the presence of God, the presence of the Lord with us, when he says that he would be with us and inside of us, within us. Well, the Lord, of course, he is there with us. And of course, he needs this body to be his temple or it to be a temple for God. But if we are committing all sorts of sins, like the ones we mentioned here in verse number nine and 10, well, then we are not a temple for God. We are not a temple of God, but a temple of the devil rather. And so here in verse 18, flee sexual immorality. Sexual immorality or fornication, well, this can be committed by a married couple. There's a husband and wife. They got married. They celebrated their marriage. They form a family and household. They make this commitment, or maybe he or she, they seek another person outside of their marriage. Well, they're committing fornication. Why? Because they're lying with another person. They're fornicating. And also, at the same time, committing adultery because of the commitment that they had together. So this is saying flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body. So every sin that a man does is outside the body. So if you steal, if you con and cheat people, that's outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. And if he sins against his own body, what happens? Well, he stains his body. He makes it impure because no longer is it a pure body, but now a body full of sin. Because in verse number 19, it speaks of a temple. But before we go to verse 19, Let's go and see what a temple means. Because here in verse 19, it says, Or do you not know that your body, this is to the believers, those who have converted to the Lord, the children of God. He says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? So your body is a temple. You, John, you, Paul, you, Peter, did you know that you were a temple of the Holy Spirit? No, I didn't know. And what does it mean to be the temple of the Holy Spirit? Well, let's read John chapter 2 in the gospel according to John. Very quickly, brothers and sisters, in the gospel according to John, in chapter 2, verse 13. John chapter 2, 13 to 22, we're going to read quickly here. Now, the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. And when he had made, when he had made a whip of cords, now in this it mentions that temple, but this is a physical temple at the time, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written zeal for your house has eaten me up. Zeal for your house has eaten me up. So our Lord Jesus Christ there saying that he was going to feel great zeal for the house of God. God had given a physical house, 
a material house so that all could congregate to glorify his name. And here they turned it into a place where they were selling merchandise. And the Jews then said, so the Jews answered and said to him, what sign do you show to us since you do these things? Because the Lord, he took a whip and chased all of them out. He says, well, why are you doing this? What authority do you have to do this? And Jesus answered in verse 19, destroy this temple. He says to those who questioned him, he says, destroy this temple. He says, I am proposing that you destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up or I will rebuild it. Destroy it. Now, of course, they thought this was something very absurd. What do you mean the Lord is saying? Well, he is telling us that we should destroy this temple. And in verse 20, the Jews said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple. And you, and will you raise it up in three days? That was the answer. Now, apparently... It was logical because they were interpreting everything literally. They didn't understand the symbolic uh, part of it and the parable that was being spoken to them. They didn't understand it. They were understanding things physically and literally. So this is why they answered this way. And so the Lord then says in verse 21, but he, it says he was speaking of the temple of his body the temple of the body of Christ, he, that was the temple of God. The, te the body of our Lord Jesus Christ was the temple of God. And when the Lord said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up, he was implying his death. He died on a Friday, and on a Sunday he resurrected. He resurrected, and so he raised up that temple in three days. He resurrected on the third. He was the temple of God. And it says, therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. There they finally believed because they saw the fulfillment of what he had taught them. But they saw this after the Lord resurrected. But in the meantime, he highlighted that he was that temple. Therefore, if the Lord is the temple, if our Lord Jesus Christ is the temple, well, then now we're going to give an explanation of what the temple is. Now let's go to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 without losing our place in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 2 in verse number 19 it says now therefore you are no longer strangers now he is speaking here to the believers in the church to the believers in the church of God to those who have converted to the children of God he says, now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but you are now fellow citizens, fellow citizens with the saints 
and members of the household of God. And so you, he was speaking to the Ephesians, to the church in Ephesus. He said, you are no longer strangers. You now belong to the family of God. You are now fellow citizens with the saints. You now, in verse 20, you having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, meaning a temple. What was being built? Well, they were building a temple. For this is what our Lord Jesus Christ came to do, to give God a new temple. A temple where truly they would praise and glorify the Lord and that it would not be defiled by sin or evil. That physical temple in antiquity was defiled. And the Lord could not dwell in it. Our Lord Jesus Christ made the commitment and said he would be the temple for God. He and his believers, his followers, his children, they would be a temple for our God. Each man, each woman who converts to God wholeheartedly, they are a temple for God. Now it says, you having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, he, he is that chief cornerstone. Like when our Lord, he is raising up this temple, this temple, symbolic temple where God is to dwell for all eternity, that temple where God will delight himself with his believers, is founded on a foundation, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, he being the temple of God, and also he teaches us that each of us should be a temple for God to praise him and to serve him. And so how then should our lives be? How do I need to live my life to be a temple for the Lord? Verse 21, it says, In whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. So it is a building that the Lord is constructing and edifying, and he is re-edifying and re-edifying, and he is placing those floors and more floors upon this building upon this tower, until one day it reaches the presence of God from being, or from all the growth that this building will have. But let's remember, the apostle taught us and said, be very careful, those who are building this temple, what are you building in this building? You need to use fine materials, gold and silver. You can't be using wood at any moment. No, because then a fire comes and it's destroyed. So you have to then observe how your spiritual lives are and the work that you are doing before God. When you die and you present yourself before God, you leave people who continue to build upon that building of God. Verse 21, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. And so keep in mind how important and how delicate this is 
to be a temple of the Holy Spirit. Do you want to be a temple of the Holy Spirit? And so you need to refrain from all of those sins that were mentioned in verse 9 and verse 10 in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and also in Romans chapter number 2, we find a list of sins. And in Galatians as well, I hope that maybe you take some time and you write this down and maybe you make a list of all of those sins that we must abandon and leave behind. But as we ourselves cannot do that alone and we can't change, so God helps us when we acknowledge that we have this weakness, that we are committing this sin, that we're living this sin. So we say, Lord, help me. I want to please you. I want to change. So he will help me change. And he will make of me a temple because the temple of God needs to be holy. So this is why in Ephesians, when it says, and the whole t- building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. Glory to the Lord. And now we go back to 1 Corinthians in chapter 6 in the verse we were at before where the apostle, I'll once again read verse 18, when the apostle says, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body, implying each one should have your exclusive partner. You should not go with one person and then another and then another and then another. You should not see this promiscuity. That should not exist because you are then corrupting. You're defiling your body, this temple, which should be the temple for God. If you want God to dwell in your heart, for God to dwell in you, well, then you need to aim to please God and ask God to help you. Acknowledge your weaknesses. Acknowledge all the wrong things you are committing and tell God and God will change you. God is merciful. He is the one who changes and transforms. He gives new life. He is the one who makes us new men, new women before the Lord. We are born again. This is why the Lord told Nicodemus, it is necessary to be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. Nicodemus said, well, then do I need to return into my mother's womb and be born again? No. Believe in my word, in the gospel, trust in me, acknowledge your faults, convert wholeheartedly, desire and long to do my will, and I will cleanse you. I will remove everything. I will transform you, and you will be a new man. You will be born again. That is what happened. Verse 19, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you? So our body, the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So as you can see, it's not just seeking and glorifying God in our spirit, but also with our body as well. We must glorify God. We must live a holy, upright life. And so it is not a sin for a man and a woman to join together in marriage and form a family and household of marriage. What they do, it's not a sin. What is a sin is what is done outside of that marriage. That's when adultery and fornication comes in. And that's when the body is defiled. 
And not just that, from a couple, uh, a marriage, a husband and wife, but many other different aspects in life that you already know about and have heard in the world, all of that is to defile the body. And so if we aspire to be a temple for God, a temple of the Holy Spirit, well, then we need to live in holy, a holy life. And we must turn away from those things. But as it can't change, then I say, Lord, help me. Help me because I can't change, Lord. Help me because I want to please you. I want to do your will. I want to be happy. I want to be happy, Lord. And so he will change me. He will transform me. And he will give me joy because he wants us all to be happy. Blessed is our Lord. That is a promise from our God. That is the promise of the Lord. And so in this way, we're going to give the Lord thanks. Thanks to the Lord for the sermon and that God have mercy of all of us. That the Lord may allow us all to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. That we be his temple, blessed Lord, O Holy Father. Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, eternal God, creator of the heavens and earth, our almighty God, our great and marvelous God, righteous, upright, merciful, you are Lord. All your ways are pure and your word is righteous. You, my Lord, are righteous with us. You are great, my Lord. You are grand because, and we thank you, Lord, because we are getting to know your path. Thank you because we are seeing your wonders. Thank you, Lord, because we see that you exist, that you are a reality. You are the truth. You exist, God. And we also wait for you to have mercy of us all and that you help us to change. Lord, help us so that we are renewed, so that we are cleansed, so that our sins are washed away, so that we may be pure, so that you are able to then come and dwell with us, and that you give us the joy, because you give joy, Lord. You are the only one that gives joy. Holy Father, thank you, Lord, for your promises promises that you have made in life and that all has started to come to pass as the time has gone on. And thank you, eternal Lord, because all of this, it is you giving us a sign or proof of your existence. Although we do not doubt you, Lord, we do not doubt you, but there are many people who mock and laugh and they treat us as we're crazy. They think we're dumb, but we know, Lord, that's not the case. You exist and you are that mighty God. You will have mercy of all those who suffer, of all those who are bound and chained or imprisoned by the enemy, by the curses of the devil. And you, Lord, you will free us from that prison. You will free us Give us that freedom. You will give us that liberty. You will purify us. You will give the peace and the joy and happiness to continue forward, to continue, Lord, to continue to speak of you, to preach and teach, reading the Bible, 
reflecting upon your word and power in all of your wondrous acts. Thank you, Holy Father, thank you. I ask, Lord, in this moment that you remove any disbelief from people, that you remove the doubts of many, that you remove the negligence and the stubbornness, the rebelliousness and the hardness of heart. Remove all that stubbornness, Lord, and remove and clear the mind, clear the mind and the thoughts, and deliver the hearts. Give wisdom and understanding to all so that they may reason and comprehend and understand so that they also are able to help themselves and be freed of the slavery of the devil. Lord, have mercy of all. Have mercy of all those who cry out to you and ask and plea with you. And also, Lord, I pray for the material things and the physical bodies, those who are suffering from different illnesses and different diseases that exist. There are many people that are suffering of these diseases and this virus. People are hospitalized. May you deliver and keep people safe, that you remove these things and heal and remove these traps of the devil, that you may remove and, and cleanse the bodies. Lord, and hear the prayers of each person. Thank you, Holy Father, for your mercy, for your love. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. And I also pray for those who are suffering of witchcraft and sorcery and curses. There are people that are suffering from this type of, of issues and the witchcraft. And Lord, only you are powerful enough to remove these things and deliver these people, these people who are calling upon you and who are thinking of you, those who want what is good. May you, Lord, protect and may you keep these people safe. Lord, thank you very much for hearing our prayers and our pleas. Lord, bless all the brothers and sisters in all the churches and all the congregations who today are with me as well. Bless everyone. Everyone brings their petition and their desire before your presence. Lord, bless them. Give them triumph and victory, my Heavenly Father. In the glorious name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, thank you, Holy Father, in the name of Christ. The honor and the glory be for our God now and evermore. Amen. Blessed is the Lord. We're going to sing to the Lord chorus number 12, titled The Joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is the strength of my life. The joy of the Lord is the strength of my life. The joy of the Lord is the strength of my life. And he gives me overwhelming and pure joy. If you are filled with rapture, let your songs abound. If you are filled with rapture, Dance and praise the Lord. If you are filled with rapture, let your voice be known. God will give you overwhelming and pure joy. The joy of the Lord is the strength of my life. The joy of the Lord is the strength of my life. The joy of the Lord is the strength of my life. 
and he gives me overwhelming and pure joy. If you are filled with rapture, let your songs abound. If you are filled with rapture, dance and praise the Lord. If you are filled with rapture, let your voice be known. God will give you overwhelming and pure joy. Blessed and praised is the name of our God, and thank you very much, brothers and sisters, and all the people who have joined us today. May my God bless you greatly, and many hugs to you all, and kisses for all of the children. May God bless you. Until next time, thank you.